0: 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're opening up in the verse 12. We've been talking about lately how now Paul is writing the second letter to the church of Corinth. And he's writing the second letter to the church of Corinth in order to let them know the suffering or his heart or really pull back that curtain of his life and be completely transparent of the things that he's going through. Now, maybe you're going through a few things that nobody knows about today. Maybe you're hurting or feel a pain or some type of sorrow or some type of hurt that that maybe you are hiding or or, or maybe it's too tough to, to speak about. But Paul here is going to talk about the struggle that he went through to serve other people. Now here, after he's written the first letter to the church of Corinth... They were a carnal church. They were a church that wanted nothing to do with the letter, not only with this correction, with this now conviction that they were feeling through the word of God, but they said, we reject completely now that you are an apostle. And you know what Paul does? He, he, he does uh, what, what he really should do as a spirit-led servant. Because I want to show you that I really do love you by two reasons. Number 1 by how much I have suffered for you. Number 1. I'm going to show you how much I love you that I am really an apostle sent by God that this message has no ulterior motive. See, during that time a lot of people came and started to speak a message on their behalf, on their name with, with their own agenda, with their own hidden motive or, or 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 intent and Paul says, look at the way I lived. I had no agenda. I had no intent hidden. I had no motive that you did not know about. I was serving you with love and I laid my life down for you. Now he shows his authenticity. He shows that he has a genuine heart for them because of his suffering. You always know how much someone loves you, by how much they're willing to suffer with you and for you. Now, not only does he show it through his suffering, but he also shows it with his integrity. Why his integrity? Because here now, the church of Corinth is accusing Paul and saying, Paul, you are not the real deal. In fact, Paul, you told us that you were going to come back and instead you send a letter to us. Come on. You didn't keep your promise. See, the title of today's message is his promises are yes and amen. Would you turn around, and tell your neighbor his promise is yes and amen. His promise is yes and Amen. And we know that the Bible is filled from cover to cover with promises of God that are always fulfilled. How many of you know that God does not break His promises that He has told us in His word in Jesus Christ, His promises are yes, and the church resounds with an amen. The promises of God are yes and amen. Now He's told us already, what do you do with suffering? When you're going through suffering, what is it that you're supposed to do? Well I'll tell you, suffering, difficulties, trials, Troubles, tribulations are sometimes a gateway that God would use for spiritual maturity. He's not going to waste that season of your life. In fact, He will use that so that you can trust Him more. And there are three things that you can do through trials, through sufferings, through, through tribulations. Is number one, go to prayer. Number two is go to the promises of the Word of God for healing. Yes, of course. But number three, seek Deeper fellowship with God because you know that he has, he does deliver. He has delivered in the past. He does deliver in the present and he will still deliver in the future. Does that not give you hope as you're going through a trial today? Maybe. Yes, I'm going through something right now in life. But I know in the past, God has delivered. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, God is delivering presently and God still will deliver in the future. Because that's the nature of God. But now he says, I want to talk to you about my integrity. Because I am not unreliable. I'm not untrustworthy. I am not inconsistent. You see, we as Christians, we should not be ever accused. Or we should strive best to never be accused of being unreliable. Of being untrustworthy. Of being inconsistent. Because Paul here was being now accused of that. But him, like us as well, have gone through seasons of our lives where we're misunderstood. Where the words that were said were maybe misunderstood. Our motives were criticized or our actions. But Paul is going to say, no, wait a minute, stop. I did want to go there. I did want to show up. However, the Lord had a different plan. You see, Paul was faithful, but he also was flexible. There's a big difference and we must know both of those and work both of those hand in hand in our lives that we are called to be faithful to what God has called us but also flexible to what God has for us today. Why? Because Paul was ready for the interruptions that God had for his life. He said, you know what? I'm open to God's interruptions for my life. I want to ask you, are you open today for the interruptions of God in your life? Are you open for that? You know, sometimes those are called blessed interruptions of God that might bring the blessings of God in your life. There are times where Paul in the book of Acts wanted to go one way and God said, no, I'm going to take you the other way because he was spirit led. And just because it sounds like a good idea, I'll tell you in your life, doesn't mean it's God's timing. And here he was now being accused of his integrity, of his character, but he's saying, no, I'm going to protect my integrity I'm going to defend my integrity. I'm going to serve with godly integrity. And look how he defends now his apostleship by demonstrating how a Christian believer, how a man or woman of the Lord, led by the Spirit, should be living a life. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12 says this, For our boast is this. This is our confidence. What is his confidence? His confidence is in his integrity for the Lord. For our boast is this. The testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves or we behaved ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly towards you. For we are not writing any other things that here you than what you read or you understand. Now I trust you will understand even to the end. As also you have understood as us in part, that we are also your boast, as you are also ours in the day the Lord returns. You know what Paul is saying here? I want you to understand how we behaved ourselves first. If you have any accusations against me, if you think that that maybe I am guilty of not coming to you, if maybe you think I'm inconsistent, unreliable, untrustworthy, I want to stop and tell you how I protected my integrity. You see, me and you have to protect our integrity in the church, but also in the world. Notice how he says, I want you to know how I conducted myself, not in the church. I want you to know how I conducted myself in the world. Because that's where people see, are able to see the message of Jesus, are able to see the integrity and the godly character that's supposed to be taking place in your life. Look at the way I conducted myself. What do people have to say about the way you conduct yourself? He said, my testimony, my witness is important. Because if I don't have a good testimony, how am I supposed to minister to people? If I'm unreliable, if I'm inconsistent, if I'm never around, if I, if I say one thing but I'm doing another thing, does it really demonstrate any power in my life? Think about a time where you maybe said, I've made a commitment here, but you were so quickly to say, I want to break that commitment because it's no longer convenient. Here Paul is saying, I'm not one to break commitments. How many of you know that as the people of God, we are not to be those that are breaking commitments because that affects our integrity? That says a lot about your integrity. It says a lot about your character. In fact, it says in verse 12, what did we do? We we have a pure conscience. This is what he did. He had a pure conscience. He had power in his testimony. He conducted himself in the world with with a powerful testimony where where, where no one can, can point a finger because it tells us in verse 12, it says here, a powerful testimony that we conducted ourselves in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. You see, those two words are so powerful. Simplicity and godly sincerity. You know what those two words mean? We conducted ourselves with humility and with holiness in the world. Not so much only in the church, but in the world. When people examine your life, when the Word of God is ready to examine your life from the inside out, is there now humility and holiness that exists? And we're talking here about the holiness that speaks about a life that is lived after God. In fact, he's saying here, I live my life without duplicity. Without duplicity. That at church, in the body of Christ, in the fellowship of believers, I wasn't one way, and then in the world, I wasn't another way. That's without duplicity. With, with sincerity, with godly sincerity and simplicity. With honesty and with purity. Now we have to ask ourselves as we read this, how much honesty and, and now purity exists in our life. That we're transparent in everything that we do. That we don't have any hidden agenda any ulterior motives. There's no, no secret sins in our lives that maybe we're living one way at the church but another way in the world. He says, I don't do that. I don't, I don't have one foot in the church, another foot in the world. I have integrity. The man and the woman of God is going to live a life of integrity. Following after the word of God. How did he do this? It says he did this. Not with fleshly wisdom, not because he was so smart, not because he was so qualified, not because he knew it all, not because he had experience, not because of his expertise or because of his title, but he demonstrated humility, godly sincerity, holiness, integrity, a life without duplicity because he was relying on the grace of God. You see, you know when you are really living a life that is full of integrity? It's when you're relying on the grace of God. Because the moment that we start to rely on fleshly wisdom or on, we have our confidence in ourselves is the moment that we will start to compromise because we find the strength that we're living in is a strength in ourselves and not in the grace of God. Here what Paul is doing, what Paul is saying is that I am relying on the grace of God, not with worldly wisdom, not with my own expertise, but I'm relying on the grace of God to lead me, to take me now to the place of integrity. Verse 13, For we are not writing any other things to you than that which you read or you understand. He wants them to know, I'm writing to you something that's not hidden. I'm not writing to you something that you don't understand. I don't, I'm not saying one thing and meaning the other. Have you ever said something but really meant another? You, you Sometimes you ask yourself, man, I don't understand what that person means. They always are playing. They're always going beating around the bush. Just tell me the way it is. Sometimes in the world, we, we boast about that. We say, you know what? At work, okay. we'll say, you know what? I, I don't want you to beat around the bush. Just tell me the way it is. But Paul is saying, you know what? I'm just going to tell you the way it is. Why is it that sometimes we want it to be told the way it is? is clear, cut, raw. When, when it comes to things of life, but when it comes to the word of God. Now, if you tell me the way it is, I'm going to get a little offended now. Well Paul is saying, you know what, I, I did not tell you, I did not write to you something that, that, that you didn't read. I didn't mean something else, but what I, I read, or I didn't say something that you would not understand, but I trust that you will understand, even to the end. He's saying, "I was sincere, I was straightforward. So you have to appreciate someone when they're straightforward. when they say, "You know, what, I'm going to be there and they show up. They're straightforward. I didn't write anything in between the lines. I didn't write anything that you would understand. I didn't say anything with an ulterior motive. What you read is what I wrote, and what I wrote is what I meant. Do you see the consistency in the life of Paul as a minister? I really hope that today we would leave with men and women in the church, in the body of Christ, with consistency, with people that really demonstrate a character and consistency. Now, in fact, he says this in verse 14, as also you have understood us in part that we are your boast as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. What does he mean by that? Now, he wrote to them this very hard message and he said, I didn't write in between the lines. I was very straightforward. I didn't want you to guess what I really meant. I was very sincere. I was very honest. I didn't have any ulterior motive. But he tells us this in the New Living Translation, even if you don't understand us now, even if you don't get it right now, Then one day when the Lord returns, you will be proud of us in the same way that we're proud of you. When the Lord returns, you're going to be proud of us that we sent you this straightforward message. That we told you the way it is. When God returns, you're going to say, thank you for telling me just the way it is. But then also, He said, we're proud of you just like you should be proud of us. Because He's fostering this unity. And He's saying the message and obedience is something that we're going to be proud about when the Lord returns. Think about when, you, when the Lord returns, you're never going to have a regret that you obeyed God. When the Lord returns, you will never have a regret that I actually obeyed what He said in His Word. Thank you. And that's what He's saying right here. That He was a man of commitment to the Word of God. And when the Lord returns, we're going to be proud that we had the Word of God. We're going to be proud that we had a message that we were able to follow. Now He says in verse 15, and in this... Confidence. I intend to come to you before. I intended to come to you before. That you might have a second benefit. I, I, I really wanted to come back. He's now defending. He's telling him why he actually didn't show up. And he's talking about his integrity here. To pass by the way to you of Macedonia to come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way to Judea. I had plans to go now there and and after you can send me to my next missionary journey. That was my intentions. I do want you to know that I actually had a heart to be there. You see, he had a heart to be there. He had intentions to be there. He wanted to be there with the church. However, something happened. But he says this in verse 17. Therefore, when I was planning this, you see here that he always was planning how God was going to use them. Or you, do you, you have something in mind? Do you have a plan in how you want God to use you? Are you working towards something or somewhere that God is saying, Lord, you put my hand to that plow. Lord, put my, my eyes there. Give me vision for this. He said, I was planning this. Did I do it lightly? And I want us to underline that in our Bibles. Did I do it lightly? Because sometimes we take our commitments that we've made to God, not man, but God, we take those commitments very lightly. You know, Paul is saying, I didn't make a, a commitment that was very light, that was very weak, that was half-hearted. Have you ever thought about how sometimes a church is half-hearted when it comes to their commitments? But when it comes to a commitment that you made for the world, what it benefits you personally, guess what? You will do whatever it takes to fulfill that commitment. But when it comes to the commitment that you made for the house of God, or for the things of God, or for the Lord Himself, we make a very light commitment. Now, Paul says, my commandment wasn't lying, or the things I plan, do I do them according to the flesh? And with the, the, where there should be a yes, yes, and a no, no? <laughs> you know, see, in verse 17, he, he writes like this in the New Living Translation. He says, you may be asking why it changed my plan. Do you think I made my plans carelessly? Do you think that I'm like the people of the world that say yes when they really mean no? You know, what Paul is saying here, when I said yes, that means I was willing to come. Do you think I'm one that makes plans carelessly? Do you think I'm one that makes plans without understanding what the cost is? Do you think I'm one that says one thing but lives a different way? Absolutely not, he says. When I said yes, I meant yes. I'm not like one of those that says yes but then means no and and changes their mind and you can't know if he's going to be here, if he's not going to be here. That should never be the people of God. We should never make our commitments lightly when it comes to the things of God. And ask today the Lord, Lord, I need some stability in my life. I need some consistency in my life. I don't want to be all over the place. (laughs) I want to be in your will, in the center of God's will. You see, because this is a discipline that Paul had. And in verse 18, he says this, but as God is faithful, now he compares himself, his integrity to the faithfulness of God. He says, as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no just like god has been faithful just like god is trustworthy just that you can trust god in his promise and what he says i trust god just like that he said our word to you was yes it wasn't yes and no it wasn't like i don't really know i change or or i can't keep my commitments think about the faithfulness of god does god ever change does god ever promise you something he says you know what i'm gonna promise you something and then when you you want to attain that promise he says you know what I, I i changed my mind you can't have that promise No, God doesn't change, God is faithful, He's full of faithfulness. And He tells us in verse 18, as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. I'm not wavering between yes and no, I I am consistent, I'm not contradicting myself. See, why is this important? Because this is part of your testimony. This is part of your testimony. I am consistent, I'm not contradicting myself. Just like God is faithful. Does God ever contradict Himself in His Word? Never. Does God ever change? Never. Does God do, does, what, does He do what He actually says in His Word? Does He fulfill His promises? Absolutely. Every time. So as God is faithful, He's going to compare Himself. So am I also consistent. I strive to be that way. For the Son of God, 19, verse 19, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by me, Silvanius, and Timothy, Was not yes and no, but in him was yes. Just like God's message is faithful. Just like God's message doesn't change. Just like God's message is full of integrity. Just like God's message is full of his character. Just like God is trustworthy and when he says yes, he means yes. And he always does what he says. And the faithfulness of God doesn't fail you. He says, likewise so is my integrity. I don't want it to fail you. You see, you see someone that loves now these people because his integrity is one that does not want to fail people. He's not saying one thing and really reflecting another thing. Verse 20 says this now, for all the promises of God in him, the promises that lie in the Bible in him, in Christ Jesus are yes. You think about this. The promises of God in him are yes. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, now, God has made available to promises to you when you made Him Lord and Master of your life. God made available promises to you for your life in Jesus, cover to cover in God's Word. You see, His promises are yes, they're complete, they're fulfilled. That, that, that He has a promise for you in every season of your life. In Him are yes, and the church responds, Amen, to the glory of God through us. Now, the promises of God, you think His promises are half-hearted, He's saying? The promises of God are not half-hearted. The promises of God are not one that are unreliable. The promises of God are not one that He offers to you and then takes away uh, the the day after when you fail. No. The promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes. And the church responds amen because we're saying, Lord, I want that promise that you made available in your word. Lord, if that's the promise that you have in Jesus, then I'll take that benefit. I'll take that promise. I know it's not a half-hearted promise. And because of that, it glorifies God. You know me and you respond to the promises of God in His Word? We respond with an amen. And because we know that we're living in Jesus, because our life is rooted in Christ, our life is rooted in promises of God's Word. Do you know that today, as you come in today, my life is rooted in the promises of God's Word. I'm going through suffering, I'm going through a trial, maybe you're going through something, whatever it would be, your, pro- your life is rooted in the promises of God's Word that yes, They will be fulfilled and you can say amen to that. You see, why is this so important? Because He's explaining to them how sure the promises of God are for their life. You think about your life today, God has purpose. And I want you to know this, God has purpose for your life. In His grand design, in His master plan. That you will never face, you will never face. And I want you to remember this, you will never face any negative situation in life. Without a powerful promise in God's word available to you for that time in your life. There is nothing that you will face, any season of your life, any storm, any trial that you will face, that there will be not a promise for that season in the Bible for you in that time to take you to victory in that place. Do you know that? But the reason that we want to quit, we want to give up is because we don't know those promises. But the only way to know, to discover the promises of God, is to go to His Word. Because no matter what season you're in right now, there's a promise for that season. You'd ask yourself, what promise is it? Well, are, are, are you depressed today? Nehemiah 8, verse 10, the promise says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you feel weak today? Isaiah 40, 29. He gives power to the faith and those who have no might. He increases their strength. A promise if you feel weak. Maybe you struggle with doubt. You struggle with faith. Your faith, is my faith real? Hebrews 12, 2. Let us look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Maybe you're saying, you know what? God has given up on me. There's a promise for that too. In Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Hallelujah. Are you afraid of death? Are you scared of what's going to happen when you die? What Jesus said in John eleven twenty five. 25. A promise for that as well. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Regardless of the problem, regardless of the season, regardless of the place, regardless of that thing and the circumstance in your life, there is a promise in the Bible that's going to cancel that out, that's going to conquer that place, that's going to carry you above it one way or another because it's the word of God. And you can count on that. Now, why is he saying this? Because if God is trustworthy and if God is faithful, if God is trustworthy and God is faithful, I want you to remember this because this is the application. This is when you put shoes on this and you make this walk now. (laughs) Then you also should be trustworthy and you also should be faithful. If God is trustworthy and God is faithful, then His people must be trustworthy and His people must also be faithful. As a church, as a body of Christ as men and women, we have to make a choice and a decision. If we are committed to God, then let's be committed to God. If not, then just go out and live for the world. Because you can do both. The stability that you find in God, you find so much stability in God. Sometimes we think, well, my life is all out of whack. I have things going on wrong in this area and in that area. And it shambles all over the place. Where they, let me tell you something. You find stability in Christ Jesus. You find stability in the cross of Jesus Christ. Right there is stability. Right there is promise. Right there is a foundation. And the stability that you find in Jesus is a stability that we should find in one another. Think about how strong the church would be if we were now people, men and women of our word, how, many, how strong, how powerful can the church be if we found stability in one another as people of God? And we could say, you know what? We can count on one another like the first church. We, they just can count on one another. There, there was a family. We can count on one another. Have you ever called your family members and you just know you can count on them? Or somebody that you love that you just know I can just count on that person? he's saying, Paul is saying, no, don't think that I have an ulterior motive just because I said one thing, but I couldn't make it. You can count on me, and that's part of his integrity. You see, Paul was such a man that he believed in that concept. He believed it. So he, he likened his life now to the faithfulness of God. And he said, as God is true to his promise, so he has taught me to be true to mine. As God is true to his promises and his word, he has taught us to be true to ours. We ought to be not people that are men and women of broken promises, especially when it comes to God, especially when it comes to the Lord. If you committed your life to the Lord, if you said, you know what, I've said yes to the promises of God, I responded with an amen that a man was not half hearted, that a man was not an amen for Sunday, but on Monday it's something else. That amen carries me through every day of my week and every season of my life because I'm standing and I have stability on the promises of God every single day. Do you see that? Because he said yes and amen to God. Unreliability in his life has gone forever. What you would ask is, how is it that I can be that committed? You're asking for too much now. (laughs) You can't do it on your own strength. It's easy. I'll tell you that right now. But Paul tells us, here in verse 21 to 24, that you find stability, you find integrity by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when your life is filled with the Holy Spirit, the days of broken promises are over. That day where you said one thing but really meant the other, the day where, where you could keep a commitment for two weeks, but after that, that was broken. That day is over when the power of the Holy Spirit fills your life. Those days become less frequent. Now verse 21, it tells us this, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ, establishes us with you in Christ, means he who makes us stand firm together in Christ Jesus. Today, I I hope that you would stand firm, that you wouldn't be wobbling all over the place, (laughs) that you wouldn't be wavering from one way or another, that you would be standing firm-footed in the promises of God, and I know that I'm going through this situation, but there is a promise available for today. There is a promise available for today because the word of God is still for today. And when you start to realize that and understand that, look look what he tells us this. Now God has made us, established us with you in Christ. He's made us stand firm with you and has anointed us in God. Now he's going to tell us three things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And I pray that you would know these three things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Number one, the Holy Spirit wants to empower your life. He wants to establish you. Establish you, anoint you, and seal you. Those are three things that the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to establish me today. He wants you to stand firm. That's what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. He wants to establish me. That way, my life is not filled with doubt. My life is not filled with fear. He wants to establish me. He also wants to now here anoint me. You know what it means to be anointed, to be commissioned? to be filled, to be empowered. God wants me to stand. God wants me to be empowered. But then God's going to seal me with His Holy Spirit. Well, let's read what He means by this. Because the idea behind anointing is that you're prepared and empowered for service. A lot of times the reason why we fail in service is because we're not anointed. What we can't keep that is because that promise, that word, we can't stay in the word of God is because we're doing it in our own flesh. So guess what happens? We come to church and we're trying so hard. Now on Monday, we're trying so hard, but then the appetite, the flesh, our, our desires start to surface. And we say, you know what? God, I, I, you know, it's just too much. And we give in. What happens when you ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, empower me to say no to sin and yes to your word. He's empowering you, anointing you, anointing you, filling your life so that you live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now He who establishes with you in Christ, together established, has anointed us in God. The anointing is when God commissions you. So you can't say that you're living a life victorious if you haven't f- been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does three things. It comes inside you, starts to change you, your desires, Your life. Your aspirations, it comes inside of you, but then it comes alongside you and comforts you and and guides you every step of the way and it helps you. It it guides you one way or another, but then the Holy Spirit comes also upon you. And what does it do? It empowers you for service. It empowers you to go out. It empowers you to be a witness. It empowers you to share. It empowers you to live a life of holiness. Do you want to live a life where you say yes and it's not a half-hearted yes to God? Then ask the Lord Lord empower me to say yes with all my heart, and that I would respond with an, a resounding amen. amen. Look what He tells us now in this very verse. He has anoint He has established, He makes you stand firm, the Holy Spirit, He anoints you as He prepares you, He commissions you. But then also is the Holy Spirit he who seals us, and He has given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. See, the sealing of the Holy Spirit It's almost as a guarantee that we are separated, protected, identified, and owned by God. The Holy Spirit comes into your life. Have you ever separated something and and maybe put a tag on it to say, you know what, do not touch this. This is separated. (laughs) Maybe a lot of you guys are thinking about your fridge at home, you know. (laughs) You know, sometimes at work I go in there and we open the fridge and it has all these tags everywhere. You can't touch nothing, you know. It's, it's sealed, it's separate, it's set apart, there's an order. Do, don't open this. <laughs> you see, now the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does, it seals you, it puts now on you that ceiling. It says, you know what, this person is separated. Amen. This person has a guarantee, the down payment has been set for this person. This person is identified to be owned by God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit also says, this person is not of the world. You can tell Satan, the next time he comes knocking at your door, I am already sealed, I'm already established now, and I'm anointed. I'm not going to say yes to the world, I'm going to say yes to God. Because I've been sealed. You go to the world, I'm sealed by God, I'm protected, I'm identified. And the protection of God is upon my life. He's placed the Holy Spirit upon me, and that is my guarantee. You know, God gave us a guarantee. His Holy Spirit plays a guaranteed part. Have you ever gave a down payment for something? and says, you know what? This is the down payment. I'm going to finish paying this off. Well, the Lord left the biggest down payment. <laughs> and, and now serving as the Holy Spirit, well, he would He come and say, these people are set apart. These people are set apart now. They do not belong to anyone else. They belong to me. They're separated for eternal life. Now, why is the Holy Spirit so important? But he, because it keeps you from wavering. And it keeps you from wandering. You know, we get become very curious when it comes to the things of this world. We want to taste, we want to touch, we want to handle. We want the world to to be able to be appealing to us. Oh, that sounds good. I'm going to go ahead and do that. If that that meets my, my emotional feelings and needs, then I'm going to go over here. And guess what we become? We start to wander and waver and go from one place to another and our lives are not filled with integrity. May that stop today. May that playing games of church stop today. May we not wander or waver anymore. We say we have drawn the line, like Paul said. I, draw, I have drawn the line. This is where I belong. I belong in this side. Because if you can't have your, your life in one side and in the other. In Psalms 16 verse 8, it says, I have set the Lord always before me. Wherever I go, the Lord is before me because He's at my right hand. I shall not be moved. I don't care what comes. I'm not going to be moved because the Lord is always before me. He is at my right hand. You know what I love about this? That He's before me, but also He says He's at my right hand. What does that mean? He's before me, but He's also beside me. And because He's before me and He's also beside me, I shall not be moved. I shall not be moved. Verse 23 and 24, as we end today, it says, Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul, that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. Now I'm finally going to tell you why I didn't show up. Because I wanted to spare you of a correction that was even stronger than the one that I gave you before. The reason why I didn't come is because I didn't want to correct you even stronger than the way that I came before, because I was patient, and and before we strained on the situation, I was long-suffering when it came to the correction that you needed. Sometimes we say, Lord, why didn't you show up? Lord, why didn't it happen today? Why didn't it happen now? Because God is being patient with what He needs to do in your life as well. Do you understand that His timing is very different from your timing? Why didn't you show up? I wanted to spare you. I wanted to spare you of that correction. That's why I didn't come. Lord, why didn't you give me the job? I wanted to spare you, my son, my daughter. Lord, why didn't you open that opportunity? Because I wanted to spare you of the correction. I wanted to spare you of the hurt. I wanted to spare you of the pain now. Verse 24, he says, Now, that we have dominion over your faith. Not that we have dominion over faith. Not that I am in charge of your faith. Because nobody's in charge of your faith. No one's here to dictate your faith. Nobody is. Not that I have to dominate your faith. But we are fellow workers for your joy. Why are, we, why are we here? We're not here to dictate, to put someone under a bondage, under a legalism, that, that your faith should be this way and not, not that way. No, that's not why I'm talking about a correction that's so heavy that you have to feel intimidated by me. Paul is saying, it's not that I want you to feel intimidated by me. Paul is saying, but I want you to know that I'm here, I'm a fellow worker. I'm here to help you. I'm here to be there so that we can have joy for by faith you stand. See, the New Living Translation says this, but what does that mean? We don't want to dominate you by telling you how you have to put your faith into practice. We don't want to do that to you. You know what we want to do? We want to work together. We want to work together so you will be full of joy. See, Paul is coming to them, not to to boss them around, not to dominate them, but we want to work together so your life can be full of joy and it can give glory to God. And, And when we work together, you're able to stand firm. You see, instead of seeing himself as a Lord over the Corinthian Christians, he's saying, "No, what? No. There's so much blessing and accountability. The reason why I'm telling you, because accountability is so important. Understand this. The moments that you are now accountable are the moments that you're going to be most wandering and wavering in your faith. Because I have no Christian friends. Because I have no Christian fellowship. Because I don't show to church. And then you wonder, there's no accountability in my life. And I start to wander this way and I start to wander that way. No, he says... Not that I want to lord over you, but I want to work together with you so that you can stand firm. So that you can stand firm. Can we stand today firm in the Lord? Let's go ahead and stand. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, Lord, because your promises are yes and your promises are amen. We ask right now by the power of your spirit, Jesus. Lord, if there, we have given you a half-hearted yes or a half-hearted amen, that we would give you our entire life now, God. That we would draw the line, Lord, on the sand and say, I am for the Lord, I'm not for the world. I don't want to waver, I don't want to wander, I don't want to get distracted. And I pray, Lord, that you would find people, Lord, that we would find people in our lives, Lord, that would help us be accountable so that we would be men and women of integrity. That just like God has kept His promises to us, that we would also keep our promises to Him and to one another. We thank You because integrity is a big part of who we are, Lord. We ask that our integrity would glorify You.